This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, I'm Philip C and this is the Breakfast Grill. On today's grill with me is MK Go, CEO of Carex, the world's largest condom manufacturer, as we discuss with MK his diversification beyond condoms and what strategies is he adopting to expand his margins. Welcome to the studio, MK. And in this conversation we've had with you in the past few years, it hasn't been things so good, right, in terms of the bottom line for the business? Well, yeah, thanks, Philip, for having me again. Um, well, bottom line has been improving. If you look into the last five uh, quarters, We've been improving quarter on quarter and we will be releasing our next uh, second quarter results this 26th of February. You're right, you know, because 2021, 2022 loss making, you did turn around the corner in 2023, PBT margins close to 3%, EBITDA margins at 9%, right? How much of this improvement in the bottom line was attributed to strategies of shifting to higher margin products as opposed to volume? Well, there's been quite a number of changes in the market uh, in a way that, you know, with COVID, it was a good time for the industry look into how they sort of move out of the common casual, uh, common tender market uh, that's been around for a very long time. Governments has been talking about trying to reduce the tender market and I think it's right and it's timely for them to do so right now because I think time has changed. People can afford to buy their own condoms and generally what we're seeing is that you know the demand for condoms are getting more sophisticated, they're getting thinner, um, they're more sort of uh, you know higher range skews that we're selling so more textured, more flavours, more more everything. In, and this whole point about shifting away from the tender market, if you look at the gross profit margins, uh, that's about 7 to 10%. You contrast that with commercial products, 20-25%, OEM 50%, right? But that that's not the key number to look at, right? Because tender gives you that certainty, isn't it? It gives you that volume. Is How much is that reducing actually year on year? Well, at our peak, we used to do almost 50% in terms of tender. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of our last quarter, we're now doing only around 20%. Um, but the good thing is that that the own brand segment has now sort of come up to be almost 20% as well. So if you look at our terms of our segmental business. 20% is own brand, 20% in tender, 60% in terms of uh, you know OEM and private label business. Unpacking the margin number, of course the GP margins aren't necessarily the right gauge of how profitable, right, especially when you go commercial and OEM, right, because there's a lot of other costs that comes with the distribution, the sales and marketing. So what's the true margin for the commercial products when you take into account all these costs then? Well, definitely the, uh, the contributing factors right now is still the Uh, OEM business, uh, the private label, which is the lion's share of our business today. Uh, And that's also one in a way that we are today turning in terms of more, bringing more profit is basically coming from the OEM business. But the own brand business has grown very significant as well. You know, online businesses has continued to grow. And basically with higher volumes, uh, that's also helping us bring down the the costs in terms of, uh, you know, the bottom lines as well, Mm -hmm. improving the bottom lines. But you will have exposure and risk management, right? Because when you talk about starting to think about these two dimensions, then you really have to think into a very different set of cost structures, isn't it? So considering that actually your PBT margins are at 3%, presumably this takes a huge chunk of your cost structure if if at the GP margin you're at 20-25% for commercial. There's definitely uh, you know a lot of improvement. I think uh, where we're seeing is that in terms of the bottom line margins, there is also uh, quite a bit of impact that uh, in terms of why 3% is because of the you know impact that we've been having through COVID. So there's a laggard 
impact still in terms of costs, in terms of some of the distribution costs that we have to incur. Uh, but a lot of this actually improving uh, and confident in the quarters to come, we'll continue to see an improvement. I think what we, we're targeting at least on the bottom line number is at least uh, to hit a 10% uh, profit after tax. Interesting. It sounds like 2023 still, you have the remnants of the pandemic still feeding into it. And that's why perhaps the margins are still at low single digits. The projection for this year is that that's why it's a bit of upside. Interestingly, that's why investors clearly love the numbers. You look at the share price, it's really been rebounding in the past couple of months. But the question here is at a PE ratio of 66, valuations are very rich. We, you know, we have always lived in terms of the share price and valuation to the investing community. I guess in a way that we've been uh, sexy to a certain extent um, and we want to continue to be sexy as well. Uh, and that's where there is a lot more potential for the business, in, not just in terms of manufacturing, but there's a lot of new products that are still coming out. I think uh, one of the areas that Carex will continue to venture is not just in natural rubber condoms. We are also moving into synthetic products as well. And that's probably where the catalyst of growth for Carex will be coming from. Yeah, I'm very keen to get your perspective later on on how you're shifting to synthetic. And this whole story about it being sexy, I guess, is when I hear you, it sounds like the story is beyond just condoms, right? Yeah. There's also this gloves part. There's also this whole medical business per se, right? Where do you see these non-condom businesses contribute to the bottom line in five years' time? Today, in terms of the, you know, we, we look into two segments of the business. We look into the medical business and we when we look into the condom business, we also have other uh, products that's actually one of uh, a growth driver for us right now, which is personal lubricants. So the personal lubricants today come under the sexual wellness division of the company. And it's actually a growing business for us. If you look into our last year business, almost 10% of revenue contribution is already coming from the personal uh, lubricant business. And we continue to see double digit growth this year. Personal lubricants makes a lot of sense. There's a kind of agents adjacency because you're kind of targeting the same segment, yeah. I guess, to a certain point of view. But the interesting thing is also your end foray into the medical uh, segment as well, right? Because you've got products such as probe covers, balloon catheters, right? Presumably those are low volume, high margin products. Yes. Margins for probe covers, uh, margin for uh, catheters has been um, been decent over the mm. years. And, you know, that has been businesses that we've been having in the business for over 20 over years. And also that was the reason why we went into gloves as well, because, you know, it's a complementing product for us mm. as a company. When we go out for exhibitions, when we talk to our clients, there are some similarities with terms of our the clientele that we have with gloves as well. Fascinating that I, I do think now that it kind of connects the dots that these medical products is kind of your bridge connecting gloves with condoms, I guess, to a certain extent. But this size of the medical product business, it cannot grow much more, isn't it? This is going to be your kind of stable cash cow going forward then? Yes. Um, you know, for example, if we're looking into the, the, the glove business, in terms of going back to your previous question, yes, of course, you know, there is a certain drag in terms of profits in the last year's profits as well. But we think that in the longer term, there is a lot of opportunities for us as a company to, to look at, you know, not just in terms of, let's say, even for the glove division, uh, not dragging in terms of profits, but potentially uh, adding uh, value into the business. Because I think where we're looking into is that, yes, it's, you know, it's medical business. Uh, condom is a medical device as well, but it's a medical device, which is quite interestingly on a retail perspective. Where we look into gloves as well is that um, we do have, um, especially after COVID globally, we do see that the 
demand of gloves has actually increased, not uh, just in hospitals, but today the use of gloves are outside the hospitals as well. Household and uh, retailers are today buying gloves as well. And, uh, those are the areas where, uh, you know, Carex would have a H in terms of where we're going to market our products. We're not looking into mass. We're not looking into the hospitals. Uh, we're really looking more into the hospital, uh, into the supermarket chains that we already have access to. So it's an easy uh, play for us in terms of uh, plug mm. and play into our existing distribution network. And we have our own distribution network in the US through our own subsidiary called Global Protection or be it in the UK under Passante. From a perspective of what gives you the edge on gloves is actually your distribution mode because it's true, you know, you download the product specs of a glove. A glove is a glove, right? It kind of meets all the requirements. But what you kind of imply here is that what differentiates you is that you target a different segment. Whereas all the big boys, they tend to target the medical sector. You take a different approach and you kind of couple it and bundle it with all your other products and then sell it for the same distribution platform then. Yeah. So when you think about gloves, then what is the size of the opportunity? Because if you look at a 2023 number, a quote, you actually did say that you did experience certification delays and unfavorable market conditions. So we didn't get the full impact of glove impact in 2023 from a financial standpoint. How is it going to contribute in 2024? Well, there is definitely impact already in terms of financial impacts, in terms of depreciation, in terms of uh, interest costs, in terms of the investments that were put in. So if you look into last year, in terms of our financial year, full year, uh, we made a 10 million, but uh, we were dragged down by the loss that we've incurred mm. on the glove division, which is about 10 million. So we should have made actually 20 million last year. In terms of how we see it moving forward, I think, um, you know, we are confident in the future of gloves still uh, because the, the retailers, when they, they look into buying gloves, I think the whole perspective that we understand in terms of their demand, in terms of their social requirements, in terms of their regulatory requirement is a lot more stricter. So they are willing to pay for, um, you know, higher prices. But their requirements are very different, which some of the big players would not be able to uh, to meet those requirements. Mm. When I connect this with the whole strategy on condoms that you want to also create your own on-brand, it does require a significant shift in capability and skill, right? That you're moving away from building that core competency on manufacturing to actually building that marketing, sales and distribution competency. How difficult is it to transition to this new kind of skill set required? As a company perspective, it's, it's not easy. So, you know, it's, it's been a learning curve for us over the last few years. Mm. Um, you know, we've started right after our IPO in 2013 and we, we went on to a, a series of uh, acquisition in terms of companies. Of course, we have learned uh, some lessons uh, through the last uh, seven, eight years. And uh, a lot of things, is, it's not easy. There's a lot of change in terms of mindset, in terms of thinking for a company. And in fact, even the culture of the company has to change to a certain extent. Going through where we've gone through, I think we're very confident confident in the future. Uh, you know, all our subsidiaries overseas are today profitable businesses, uh, getting all the, the right cultures in place and we're set to grow the business forward from here on. And growth comes in what form, right? It's expanding the distribution, it is deepening the channels. Are you going to add more product portfolios after gloves? Well, th there's always a lot of opportunities to look into the, the whole section in terms of um, not just within, you know, if you look at Carex, we're always known as a sexual wellness company. Mm. Today, when we look into beyond sexual wellness, there's a whole area in terms of intimate care as well, uh, in terms of feminine care as well. Uh, so those are the areas that we will be looking into beyond, uh, let's say, an organic expansion. But I think we're not also ruling out potential acquisition in, in areas like that, because there, there is a lot of areas in terms of where our knowledge has come from. Uh, you know, from the old days when we first started to make personal lubricants and a lot of people was just like, you know, it's 85% water, but it's not just 
85% water. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, if you actually really understand the whole perspective of today, uh, why is Carex's business growing in terms of personal lubricant? It's because of its new classification in a lot of the Western world. I wonder it going forward that you currently position yourselves as a condom manufacturer, sexual wellness. That narrative will shift in five years, right? You could simply be a personal healthcare business in five, ten years. That's yes. not, not that's not inconceivable, right? Yeah, I think I think that's possible. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break and return with MK Go after a few short messages. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to the Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Welcome back. On The Grill with me is MK Go, CEO of Carex, as we have a conversation with him about how this condom manufacturing business has expanded and diversified beyond just manufacturing condoms. MK, one thing though, we still have to focus on your core business, which is condoms. And I did search the One Condoms website and what caught my eye was this next generation condoms. And what really struck me was you have this product called the OneFlex Graphene Condom, 11 US dollars. Who's buying that? It's a lot of people buying it. Really? Yeah. It's it's expensive, huh? Well, you know, $11 US, but again, if you look at other condoms as well in the US, if you look at Trojan in the US, a brand in the US, the number one brand, or even if you look at Durex, it's it's over a dollar a piece. So, you you know, you... It's averagely about a dollar a piece in the US. So you'll find $12 to $14 a pack in the US. So, you know, even though it's next generation condoms, um, but I think that's the interesting and sexy thing about condoms because it's a product that you can make in the factory for a tender from three cents and be able to sell it up to a dollar in the market. And that's been our journey over the last 10 years in terms of how do we capture a bigger lion's share of this value in this business. One dollar with three cent costs implies a 97% gross margin for that kind of product. So I can imagine with that $12 price, you know, you're getting really hefty margins here. Question here is volumes, right? You're saying there's an appetite in the United States. How is it translating here in Asia? Do you think it can translate here? Uh, yes, you, you know, I, I think we, we've launched the product here in Malaysia. We've been very successful here. Uh, we've launched this beyond Malaysia as well and, and into quite a number of countries. And, you know, through that whole value chain where we've been seeing in terms of growth that, um, you know, we've been growing in the e-commerce platforms where, you know, our margins are actually improving in the, those areas. And that's been helpful because I think the whole COVID situation has moved uh, a lot of younger people to buy condoms online. It was it was a point where there was quite a number of people that were very hesitant in the past. They, mm. they never trusted that. Uh, but I think uh, COVID has learned, has all taught us a lesson to be basically to live through a bit of a virtual world sometimes. I was very intrigued about your distribution strategy for these things because, yeah, the, in the past, the expectation is, you know, you, you go to 7-Eleven or you go to the pharmacy and get them and you get that immediately, right? But in this generation and age, they expect things done immediately, isn't it? And actually the deliveries to be done within 12 hours, 6 hours, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's definitely changed in terms of model. It was a lot more in terms of convenience store. Um, and we do see a lot of these uh, trends across in a lot of developing countries. And why in convenience store is just because of the fact of people were very embarrassed buying condoms in supermarkets and pharmacies. Yeah. And basically, you know, what we're seeing with the younger generations today is that uh, it's not as shameful anymore. People don't 
really feel shy buying condoms. You know, they are able to talk about it. And that's why, um, you know, we, we're seeing a, a shift as well. We're seeing more and more condoms actually sold in, in pharmacies today. You know, and, and we really like that as well because the fact that, you know, you will actually have a longer stand in front of the aisle and we'll be able to sell you more products or be able to tell you more of the features of our products actually in a pharmacy. Correct me if this is a right trend that Gen Z's, Gen Alpha's, Perhaps they are a bit more laissez-faire that you, the perspective now that HIV isn't a death sentence, that you've got PrEP, morning after pills. Do you think the next generation aren't taking the adoption of condoms seriously? Well, there are definitely certain numbers to show that the usage of condoms among general population are still very, very low. Yes, but for the next generation of the younger population? It is true to a certain extent. And, and one of the things is that, you know, a lot of people has always been asking me is like, you know, why wear a condom? You know, there, there is a lot more, um, you know, again, as what you've mentioned, there there is medications. Uh, there's no cure, but there are medication to keep a person going. And, and that's where I think condom makers like us has to evolve, right? And we're evolving and it's it's been a call sometimes not just to Today, it's been a call for over almost 10 years now by a guy called Bill Gates, you know, the Microsoft founder, who 10 years ago has already realized that it's been a serious threat that only 5% of men globally are using condoms. And if we're going to meet that 2030 target to eradicate HIV AIDS, uh, we're far away from it yet, uh, mm. still. How much pressure is it on you to innovate the product? Because we are all committed to ensure everyone, you know, has safe sex. But the goal is also to make it pleasurable at the, at the same time, right? It's mixing that safety and pleasure element together. How much innovation can you drive there? I think innovation over the last 20, 30 years has always been a little bit more structured because the fact that it's been more focused in terms of natural rubber. Uh, as much as we all like natural rubber in terms of a material, it's, it's cheap, it's, it's very flexible. But the problem with natural rubber, unfortunately, is that it's not been giving the sensation consumers once. Again, uh, you know, if, and, and I'll look, you know, a simple example is, you know, if you wear rubber gloves, very soon you realize that you'll start sweating, you'll feel fairly uncomfortable, you don't really like that feeling. Uh, so again, a lot of people always ask me, you know, why, you know, why use a condom? Because it's like you're asking me to take a shower with a raincoat on. <laughs> Um, and the thing is that what my job is to make sure is that, you know, how do you bring that whole sensation closer to a person? 20 years ago, um, the common complaint that I used to get was uh, our products were too thick. But today, uh, the constant uh, thing is that, you know, our condoms are, you know, not thin enough. So that whole, in that 20 years, what we've seen is a shift in terms of consumer preferences because of the fear. Again, it's the whole fear factor is gone. Uh, how do you bring products that would have better heat transferability? Because it's not just about thickness, right? Because a lot of consumers there outside will always think that, you know, if I want a product that I can feel my partner better, I would have to go through a thinner product. True to a certain extent, but not all true. I think the, the true fact is that how do you actually get heat transferability across? Mm. And which is important. I think we talk a lot about safety. Uh, today, you know, the, the consumers want a product that's comfortable, that it's, it's them, that fits them. Yeah. I mean, you touch on the essential, right, which is really to make them feel comfortable. Because in, in the in the narrative, we hear all the other gimmicks, right, the colours, the flavours and all that. That doesn't drive as much margin as being able to get this right, isn't it? Yes, correct. I think um, that's what consumers has been wanting to look for, has been looking forward towards. And there are products that's really in the market there. Unfortunately, like what you talk about, my next generation condom in the US at almost a dollar a piece. You know, if I 
would to bring to your attention that condoms, synthetic condoms, uh, are sold, polyurethane synthetic condom is sold currently at about $3.50 to $4 US per piece. Um, those prices are even higher. So there are, uh, there are options today in the market. There are synthetic condoms in the market out there. Some that's made out of polyurethane or some PU or the other one is made out of PI, but they're fairly expensive and they're not able to be messed out. And today, I think consumers, even at a dollar a piece, consumers are finding it's rather expensive for condoms. How can you bring down the cost? How can you drive more efficiencies, right, in the cost so that you can bring down the point, you know, get the sweet spot in terms of just driving greater volumes, right? Where is that balance between the right price and the sufficient volumes to move forward? Well, I think it's not just me. I think it's the entire supply chain that needs to be looked at because mm. um, margins in terms of retailer margin for condoms is probably one of the highest, 60% margin. So unless a retailer is willing to take a cut, uh, which I I don't think so, I, I don't think they would be willing to do so. And, and things are moving in, in terms of our direction, in terms of how do you then go direct more from not just a B2B, but then how does the business look to go towards a B2C and direct to a consumer. That's where we have products in the US where we today could customize a person in terms of your size. We have 66 sizes available. You measure yourself and you could be even on a subscription model and we can deliver condoms right to your doorstep. And in the end of the day, like what we always think about you know, uh, sex is towards actually something rather predictive. Could predict in terms of the usage. We can predict in terms of the the frequency of how how much a person will be probably needing in terms of condoms as well. And I I can assume that social commerce is going to be the huge platform for you to grow this right because it engages it allows you to engage the customer directly. You can bypass that retail margin and you can actually extract more margin there. Right? How challenging is it actually to sell condoms on social commerce? I I, th- I don't think it's too difficult now. I think it's more in terms of acceptance of the, the, the public in terms of acceptance. One that we're looking at today, if we look into China, for example, you know, I was in China 25 years ago and, you know, China was a traditional market altogether. You had to go through a family planning board. But today, over 50% of condoms in China is actually sold online. You know, and I think China is, is leading in terms of that indicator to see the rest of the world in terms of how we're going to change. So it's not about I think there is a lot of things that needs to change as well, you know, in terms of product varieties, uh, communications, deliveries. But again, I think it's the entire supply chain. And I think we are moving towards that direction. It's just coming slowly but surely. And you, you referred to China and it is an interesting goal about how you see your markets moving forward. You know, if we talked about this conversation five years ago, Africa was a very large market. True. You kind of still purchase, governments per pre-purchased a bit. Presumably that's shifting, right, as a model and even reflect in your numbers now, America and Europe contribute to nearly 60%, two-thirds of the business now, right? Where do you see, see this shifting and how does China and India all shape into your market plans for the coming five years? I think that's where the... Um that's where the demand is actually mm-hmm. in the world today. Uh, unlike certain other products, US could be a very big consumer. But again, in the end of the day, you know, a person has to use a condom, right? And where the biggest population is in the world is both China and India. Uh, and those are the two markets that we are going to be uh, looking into in terms of growth. And I think where India and China, especially in all these markets, they are very hungry for, for new innovative products. So that's where I think synthetics will, will move in the future because synthetics has always been the norm that synthetics were expensive. But I think that's where Carex wants to be different. Uh, we want to be different in terms of a synthetic play where we want to be able to mass it to everyone. MK, thank you for your time and looking forward to seeing how the 2024 numbers translate. On The Breakfast Grill, MK Go, CEO of Carex. I'm Philip C, BFM 89. 
The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.